I want to begin this morning. We're, we're, we're returning to the lectionary text for this week, which is actually a follow-up on the topic of we've been looking at rest and the idea of rest. But the title I've given the message this morning is where Jesus locates the Sabbath or locating the Sabbath. So Luke 13, beginning at verse 10. And he, Jesus, was teaching in the synagogue on the Sabbath. Take note of that, okay? And there was a woman who for 18 years had a sickness caused by a spirit, and she was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your sickness. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made erect and, and began glorifying God. But the synagogue official, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, began saying to the crowd in response, There are six days in which to work should be done. So come during them and get healed, and not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the stall and lead him away to, to water them? And this woman, a daughter of Abraham as she is, whom Satan bound for 18 years, should she not have been released from his bond on the Sabbath day? As he said this, all his opponents were humiliated and the entire crowd was rejoicing over all the glorious things being done by him. Lord, I ask you for grace to hear, to receive, and then, Lord, that work that only you do. You take a word and you communicate it to our heart. And so, Lord, I trust you even here that that word would find its place in our heart. And we trust you for that, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, a couple of months back, I think I've shared with you all, I had the distinct privilege of being able to travel with my son, Donovan. Um, he had, while he was in school, opened up a uh, credit card. Was, I forget which airline it was, but he'd accumulated some points. You know, the thing where they give you so many points if you open up a card. Well, he had that. And he said, Dad, I want to I use those points up, and um, I'm, I, I, want, I have enough points. I want to go to Hawaii. Will you come with me? And so I still had a little bit of money left over from my parents that they had left me. I said, you know what? I'm going to do it. And so uh, we had a mutually stated goal of seeing as much beauty as we could possibly get done. And, I mean, there's like two or three ways that you can see Hawaii. One of them is that you go sit on a beach. Totally cannot relate to that. I, I understand that. I have empathy. Is that the right word? I have some sympathy maybe is the right word. I don't know. I, I, I can, I, I'm not judging of you. I just can't relate to you if that's you, okay? I don't like to sit still. So, uh, you know, in fact, one of Donovan's friends said, I can't conceive how you would be going to Hawaii and not be spending 12 hours on the beach. And we're like, are you kidding me? No. You go, you get in the water, you, you know, horse around a little bit, and then you get in the car, you go to the next place. There's things to do, places to see. So... Uh, our goal was see as much beauty as we can, get our face in the water. That is, I enjoy snorkeling. So does my son's actually, he's cert another one of our certified divers. And so, again, the entire trip did not disappoint. Now, it didn't take us very long before we began to, uh, you know, and, and 
begin to pay attention that Native Americans really have a passion about their culture. And uh, it, you know, if you're paying attention, it doesn't take you long for them to remind you, this was another country before you took it over. And so we're like, oh, okay, yeah. Um, so another thing I noticed, by the way, was the interesting way that most cities... Now, the only you know, city I think I could ever remember uh, and, and just you know, draw out of my memory would be Oahu because I always heard of that like you know, being reported on. But all these other towns in Hawaii are incredibly hard to pronounce because the Hawaiian language is rich in vowels. And so I consider myself fairly decent at being able to take our Anglo you know, language and sort of pronounce something. I couldn't get it right until I heard it. And uh, so, you know, I didn't do what I often try to do if I go into another place. I try to begin to maybe use words that are appropriate. I did use one word that I was pretty sure about, you know, aloha, greetings, right? That's supposed to be your greeting for hello. Uh, that's not hard to figure out. That's plastered everywhere. Uh, but then the other word, I first heard this other word. Uh, from my niece when I was on a phone call asking her about what we should do and not do as we went. Uh, she spent months there. Uh, and that word is mahalo. And she said it to me on the phone. I'm like, I don't know what that means. And then I heard people uh, saying it to me. And I, I, I think I figured out that that meant, like, thank you. So, like, you know, when we go to El Salvador, I say uh, hola. And when they give me something, you know, I say de nada, thank you. Right? Very good. So, however, it just never really became, it never, never came naturally for me in the exchange because it wasn't long before I began to figure out that there was a, a, a bigger depth to that word. Um, aloha's welcome. Now, the later one has this feeling of respect and gratitude and appreciation all wrapped up into it. Mahalo. Now, here's what's interesting. True fact. Uh, they've done a good job in many state parks of putting all kind of trash bins everywhere to sort of let you know if you're there, don't leave your trash. Please discard of it, right? But on the trash bins, there is the word, mahalo. Now, it, this, is, this is the truth. Apparently, this has actually happened to many tourists who are maybe not very uh, astute or attentive to what's going on around them, they've seen that on the trash bins and, and concluded that's what that word means. Rather than thank you for discarding your trash, they thought mahalo means trash. Now, uh, that's, that's kind of problematic, uh, especially when you begin to take a look at this. Now, uh, you know, this original word, aloha, actually means more than just hello. It means that, that I'm giving a greeting in which I'm actually recognizing the presence of the divine on the person in front of me. I actually like that. I think there's something really good about that. Re you know, recognizing the person in front of me as an image bearer of God. That's good. Mahalo is this sense of gratitude, respect, towards creation and all that's around you, but also when you give it as a greeting to somebody, what you're saying is, may the divine breath be upon you. So, 
Think about this for a moment. You've got this unfortunate tourist who's looked and seen the name on a trash bin and begins to use the word in a very incorrect way. And for Native Americans, it's, it's like they're being dis, Native, Amer, Native Hawaiians. Uh, they're, they're dismissing something that, that really means a whole lot to them, has a way lot more depth to them. This value and respect, recognizing the divine breath, not just the trash bin. You couldn't be farther from what that word means. Where you locate the meaning of a word can make all the difference in the world, right? Everybody following me. Luke 13. Jesus is in a synagogue on the Sabbath. And there is this dramatic exchange that occurs, and, and it's this incredible exchange. It's for God's people, but especially for these religious leaders of the day. The Sabbath was located at a day and an hour and a time in the week that was filled with obligation and with expectation and duty. God in the flesh, Jesus, comes and he locates the Sabbath in its correct place. Not by a day or an hour, but by a place, a place of freedom for the children of God. Sabbath is what God's always intended for his people. That's why the Hebrew writer says there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Right? So Jesus reveals that the Sabbath is meant to free us, not to bind us. To invite us into a place of freedom as the children of God, not to bind us with duty and obligation. And beloved, this is good news, where we locate the Sabbath. Luke's account gives us this incredible story, beautiful story in the life of Jesus. Jesus is here locating the Sabbath, not out of duty and obligation, but he's revealing the Father and, and the presence of his Father to the Beloved. And we have this woman. Now, <clears throat> a lot that we could say about this woman. She's sick. She's weak. She's hunched over, unable to stand up upright, probably not able to look anybody straight in the eye. For 18 years, it's been so long that neither she or anyone around her can identify her by anything else other than the way she is. The woman that's bent over. In fact, I want to suggest to you that it's, see, we don't even get her name. Luke doesn't even record her name. And I, I believe that's perhaps a reminder of how visible she had become. Invisible to herself and everybody around her. She's just the woman who's bent over. She's not, she's not known for her character, her faithfulness in coming to the synagogue in prayer, to pronounce an agreement to you know, come so that there'd be a quorum of at least 10 people in worship and prayer that they had to have in that synagogue in order to have worship. They had to have at least 10, and often perhaps she was one of them. I mean, there's a lot of things you can begin to explore. Who was this woman really? The only way that we know her is she's just, she's just that woman that was bent over. Interesting, isn't it? Now, 
how things can begin to define us. Life and its distortions can begin to define us. I had a couple of grandmothers, one that I never knew. Uh, the other one that I did traveled on the boat with my parents in 1950 at the age of 50 years old. I knew her just a little bit. She was not, I didn't refer to her as my grandmother. We call her Oma in Dutch. That's why Denise and I like the word Oma and Opa. She knew about 40 words in English. It might have been more, but all I remember was I could never really understand her. Her accent was so thick. She had a big old bun of hair that was gray that she bundled up on the top of her head. I think she had the same dress on since World War II. And these shoes that were huge. And she commanded a presence in the room that wasn't always very pleasant. You guys know what I'm talking about? When you ask me about my Oma, that's the picture that comes to my mind. Now, you know what I know about her story? She was a, a young lady who was born into a family of great influence and wealth. And uh, that family was well-connected, uh, what we might call like sort of the royal sort of connections in Holland. And she did what she shouldn't have done. She fell in love with the farmhand. And she was disinherited. So much so that when she married that farmhand and left that life of privilege to start her life with this little poor Dutch man who had nothing, we have nothing that is actually recorded of that because they literally had nothing. There's no pictures. They didn't own a camera. That was a luxury. Interesting, isn't it? The pictures that come to our mind. See, the, the narrative and the story of somebody at one particular point in their life can begin to define and you, you begin to just sort of equate, that must be who they are. I've got an uncle who for 20 years was a mayor and a leader in the provincial government just outside of Toronto. He commanded respect in every room that he went into 30 years ago. Federal officials in Canada paid attention to things that he said. Today, if he walks into the room, if he were to walk into this room, he's, he's in such stages of dementia, he doesn't know where he is or even who's standing in front of him. He's merely a shadow of what he used to be. If you were to meet him now, you'd have no idea of who he was. I, I'm telling you these stories because, you see, we had this woman... And we're missing something. Her. She's being defined by what's, what's distorted her. Bent over. Unable to look somebody in the eye. The shadow of the person that she used to be. Invisible to herself and to absolutely everybody in the room. Beloved, if you want a picture 
of what hell is warring to accomplish in the life of every human being, this is it. What's hell trying to accomplish? To make the true God-given identity of every man and woman invisible. Mark that down in your mind. Before we get offended at what, where people are at, remember, it isn't just because they've made a bunch of bad choices. Hell is warring against every human heart. And, and to make matters worse, she's likely at the place that she's begun to believe that she wasn't seen as well. She's hunched over. She's not even able to see Jesus or at least look him in the eye. She doesn't, she doesn't say anything. He says something. And oh, by the way, now we get to the gospel. If you want to picture the gospel, here it is. Remember this. Oh, beloved, don't ever forget this. We can get so mixed up in this thing when we, when we try to get this de definition of the gospel as you just get forgiven of your bad choices. Beloved, the gospel is this. Genesis 1, the Spirit of the Lord is hovering over what? Darkness, death, disorder, and chaos. The deformity of creation. The Spirit of the Lord hovers over it and speaks light, life, order, and beauty. Why does beauty awaken something in everyone? Because it's the gospel. It's what God came to restore and to invite man into. Genesis 2 when man and Satan fall, based first, you know, Satan's fall is on the envy of the one who's bearing the image of God. And in his envy, he drives him to invite man to question the intent of the goodness of God and to accuse man of lack. And from that point forward, he's been attempting to distort and disfigure the intent of God's goodness and especially. God's goodness in humanity. On the Sabbath, Jesus is teaching, and he reveals that the Sabbath is not a date or a duty or an obligation, but his intent. This, beloved, this is why I always, this, I, we, we need to hit repeat on this because this is the image that we need in our hearts and our minds when we say the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus is coming and proclaiming, I am that Sabbath that's going to restore man to light, life, order, and beauty, to communion with God. This is what God has always been about, not about a duty or an obligation, but to restore man to communion with Him. And Jesus comes and in the disfigurement and the distortion of this woman's life. Oh, this will preach. She can't see him. She's not saying anything, but he sees her. I don't care how twisted, disfigured, this is the truth. When men cannot see God, God sees them. And he speaks to her identity, and he sets her free as a daughter of Abraham. Jesus saw her. See, we can get this idea in our mind when we've got the wrong image of God that somehow we can get to a place where God can't see me. No. 
He saw what nobody else could see in the room, a daughter of Abraham. He saw her. Not the disfigured her. He saw her. Not hunched over and invisible and frail. That woman that everybody's looking past, he saw her. The woman bearing the image of God. The word that, use, that, that Luke uses for when he saw her isn't just a visual thing. It's the same word that Luke uses when he's talking about, uh, you know, behold, uh, the, uh, the, uh, behold Mary. You know, when the angel of the Lord comes and says, behold, he says, see, perceive. It's, it has to do with perception. It's a Hebrewism that has to do with perception. Jesus perceives and sees the image bearer of God and the story that God intended for this woman. He saw her. Beloved, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ proclaims that God sees every man, woman, boy, and girl. So Jesus reveals something about the Sabbath. It's more than a day of rest. It's a day to make the invisible visible. It's a day in which God sees, and he sees injustice, beloved. He doesn't look past it. I know there's a lot of religious folks that believe that, write it off. God sees the injustice, and he he sees the one who's bound by that injustice, and he sees the person. And I want to stay on this topic for just a second. Think about her. What her imagination has been in her life, this is a lady who has lived with one foot in the grave. I mean, her next best date in her life is when she dies. She has lived in the sphere of the dead. She doesn't even have an imagination for actually really being alive. I know people like that. Beloved, when folks get in that place, we want to pray, God, open their eyes that you see them. You see them. See, Jesus saw her, this woman whose bondage really didn't give her any rest. And on the Sabbath, Jesus proclaims, this is what Sabbath is about. God sees you. And one of the most basic foundations of the gospel is that no matter how bound or distorted that we become, God sees us. And the way that he sees us is not with judgment, but with compassion. With compassion. And he spoke to her and he said, be free. And it's actually that word is just one word. You know, be freed from your sickness. That's actually, there's just one word that's used there, which means to be loosed or untied. Which is why later he says, you'll untie your donkey. Wouldn't God want to untie an image bearer? That's the gospel. And on the Sabbath, Jesus is proclaiming, this is what the Sabbath words are about. That, that heaven proclaims over the human heart, be loosed. He locates the Sabbath as a place. See, Jesus reveals and, and he speaks to this silent agreement that this woman had had. It's just the way it's going to be. The silent agreement that the religious establishment had. That's the way it's going to be. When she closes her eyes, she can only see death. 
Jesus proclaims, no, be loose, be freed. And he speaks to the actual identity as a daughter of Abraham. Now, when Jesus puts his hand on her, he, his touch is extending the love of the Father, revealing that the Sabbath is about what he will accomplish in the resurrection and invite us to proclaim life in the face of death to those with one foot in the grave. There is life, hope in the face of despair, light in the face of darkness, over chaos, darkness, disorder, and death, light, life, order, and beauty. This is what the resurrection proclaims. See, beloved, resurrection power is the revelation that God is restoring the Sabbath to mankind. And we can look and in the world around us and we can see the injustice and proclaim resurrection power. Be revealed. Loose the bonds of injustice. I'm talking about every form that we see it happening in the world around us. Economic injustice. Racial injustice. Lord, we proclaim your Sabbath. I want to agree with your Sabbath. I want to live in it in an agreement with it. Amen? So the distorted, disfiguring power of hell, listen to me. This is what, this is the prophetic word of the church. That distorted, disfiguring power doesn't get the final word. Resurrection gets the final word. Be loosed. Remember why Jesus, you know, Luke 4, when he sits down, he says, here's the beginning of my ministry. Spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me to do what? To loose the bonds of injustice. To proclaim good news to the poor. Jesus is just hitting every bullseye of injustice and disfigurement and proclaiming the Sabbath has come. Then you got this religious leader. I don't want to just villainize this dude. I want to say this is what he, he reveals what religion reveals. The demand for obligation and duty that is rooted in power and control. So much so that he doesn't even acknowledge the woman. She's still invisible to him. Bent over, coming in worship faithfully. He's unable to hear the heart of worship from her restored body or see the soul of this woman. Such is the conclusion, listen to me, such is the conclusion when our highest vision of God is that he is a law enforcer and judge. And all the while, beloved, you, go, you comb through the Old Testament. How does God identify himself? Full. This is who I am. I'm, I'm gracious and I'm abundant. I'm forgiving transgression, iniquity, and sin. My loving kindness is from everlasting to everlasting. My compassion is measureless. And again, beloved, this is one of those critical issues for us as followers of Jesus. How I see God. It really matters. Father or judge? Father, judge. And Jesus reveals that to live in the wrong picture of God is to live in hypocrisy. 
the pride that says somehow I've got, I've got a better handle on this that's void of compassion and mercy. I, I, this troubles me. Now, sometimes it's been really easy to identify. I can identify it in other people, you know, my angry used-to-be neighbor trying to pass tracks to my other neighbor and yet filled with anger and bitterness. You know, it's really, really obvious. It's like, oh, no, no, no. That's not really what God's about. He's not about duties that's void of compassion and mercy. You know, Jesus alludes to this, doesn't just allude to it. It makes it clear. He says, you know, you, you, you think that you're able to be gracious and compassionate to your own children. How much more will your heavenly Father be than you? Your vision of God matters, beloved. Father, Jesus, how do we pray? Our Father, not our judge, our Father who loves us, cares for us, provides for us. Religion will grind us into a place of obligation and duty that's rooted in power and control. The Father invites us into arms of love and a place of rest. So the good news for us today, beloved, Jesus locates the Sabbath as a place of life and freedom and worship, not out of duty and obligation, but restoring and revealing the love of the Father to the human heart. See, this kind of Sabbath means that God is still invading darkness and death and disorder and distortion and proclaiming light, life, order, beauty. You're loosed. Love of the gospel to us and to everyone around us. This God sees you. He loves you. He speaks love over you. He sets us free by the power of the resurrection. Oh, that's good news. Beloved, even just to hear it, there's something of peace that begins to settle in my heart. Why is that? That's because it's good news. It's the truth. So what do I do with this? Well, where do you locate the Sabbath then? How do you give the Sabbath to others? Well, I think that's precisely the call of this passage is to not only recognize that Jesus locates the Sabbath as a place of redemption and restoration in what he fully accomplishes in the resurrection, but then he invites us to give the Sabbath. So as followers of Jesus, I believe our invitation is simple, to proclaim God as our Sabbath in Christ Jesus as we remain surrounded by a world system that distorts and disfigures the lives of those around us. And in the midst of that system, we proclaim there's resurrection. Will I allow the love of the Father in me to see the person around me? To really see them? The invisible, the forgotten, the overlooked, the abandoned, the disfigured, the dismissed. Beloved, that requires discernment. Ruth Haley Barton, in her book, 
Sacred Rhythms writes this about discernment. He said, it's first of all a habit, a way of seeing that eventually permeates our whole of life. It is the journey from our spiritual blindness, and here's how she defines spiritual blindness, not seeing God anywhere or seeing him only where we expect to see him. Okay, that's spiritual blindness. To spiritual sight, finding God everywhere. And especially where we least expect it. Because, beloved, that actually is the gospel. He is present and at work. So as I stand, am I able to see the person made in the image of God? Am I able to proclaim, I see you and God sees you? And he wants to speak words of life that proclaim truth about their identity. Not the disoriented place they find themselves in, but the truth of who they actually are. Here's another question. Are they able to see God in me? And am I able to speak words of life to them? This is something I... I found my now, you know, my wife and I have been married 39 years. I want to say it's 39 years of her continuing to encourage me. This is what we've got to do, speak life. Beloved, Sabbath is not about a day or a duty, but a place of freedom given to us in the resurrection. That's where Jesus has located it. So it doesn't mean that I've just taken a nap. It means that I'm proclaiming God's heart in his way and his resurrection Unfortunately, for most of us in Western culture, we have no lack of religious tourists that have cheapened the truth of the gospel. But, beloved, it doesn't change its meaning. We want to proclaim the depth of its meaning. Our call, our call is to locate its truth in our life. And in the lives of others, not by duty, obligation, but by reflecting the love of the Father revealed in Christ as a place of freedom for the children of God. Jesus reveals Sabbath is meant to free you, not bind you. And, beloved, that's good news, isn't it? Amen. I want to invite us this morning for our closing prayer. I want to invite us into praying a litany that was written by Fran Pratt. It's called a Litany for Freedom. So would you stand with me as we, uh, as we come to close? And I just love the way this is written. Let's, let's pray this together. It's a little bit longer than our normal closing prayers have been, okay? Jesus, so often we miss the point of your invitations. We strap them to ourselves as weights and constrictions when you meant them to free us. You invite us to Sabbath, to rest, to contemplation, to community. You invite us to think differently about rules, about assumptions, about what the kingdom of God looks like. You invite us to your revolutionary idea that the kingdom is now, that freedom is now, that resurrection is resurrecting everything. Help us go to the Scripture. 
hand in hand with you, you guiding our thinking, you keeping our foot from stumbling, you pointing out the most important bits. Help us, help us there to find all the freedom we expect from you. Peace in every encounter, love in every interaction, and joy in every invitation. Amen and amen. Beloved, I want to invite us to come to communion. If you're on the call, if you have something there to join us, we want to invite you to grab something there. In just a few moments, we're going to share communion together. I want to lead